What we really need to look for in senior leadership is steward leaders willing to implement faithfulness-focused strategies. Because if the organization is not abiding in the vine, there will be no fruit on the branches. If the organization is not humbly just focused on faithfulness, it will not, in the long run, produce any fruit. Gary Hogue sees and hears about the global church every day. As CEO of Global Trust Partners, birthed from the heartbeat of ECFA, Gary witnesses how ministry work is done around the world and how different cultures and governments perceive financial integrity, good governance, and leadership. Gary lays out the common path and the kingdom path. Listen in, you won't want to miss how we're all drawn to the common path and how Jesus rebukes it. Here, alternatively, if you're saying, we have an organization focused on faithfulness and the senior leader, instead of being evaluated based on outcomes, results, I like to say, I like to use these words so they're easy to remember. Don't focus on outcomes, focus on obedience. Don't focus on results, focus on righteousness. Well, Dr. Gary Hogue, it is so good to have you here on the ECFA podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much. And it's great to be back and see all the people of ECFA, which are like a family to us at Global Trust Partners. That's right. No, you are like family. We go way back, as they say, right? So you have been uh, ECFA Press author, international liaison, and now president and CEO of Global Trust Partners. And so we're just so grateful for the work that GTP uh, does around the world, encouraging organizations like ECFA. Why don't you tell uh, those who are listening to the podcast, those who may not be as familiar, just a little bit about GTP and your work. Sure. Well, GTP was formed as the international entity to empower national workers to build trust and to grow local giving to God's work around the world. We like to say our purpose statement is in obedient service to Jesus Christ. GTP multiplies faithful stewards and mobilizes peer accountability groups like ECFA and USA to build trust and to grow local giving to God's work. And it's just been... Uh, amazing to start as ECFA International Liaison and help set up an ECFA-type group in South Korea, and then Australia, and then Philippines, and then Kenya, serving Pan-Africa. And then I had that conversation with, with Dan Busby at ECFA, who said, you know, Gary, we've given you a budget of zero. You've traveled <laughs> all over the world, and God wants to do this bigger than, mm. than ECFA has the resources for. And the, I, I have to hand it to the ECFA board. They met, and they determined that God wants to do something bigger. So um, it was in 2018 that, that the board really made the bold step of saying, pray about launching a separate entity. And so from there, um, I have to tell you, Michael, I, I, when they said, Gary, you need to launch this, I cried <laughs> because I said, the job's too big. Mm. Like no one could do it. And here's literally what I did. I held out my hands and I looked at my fingers and I kind of wiggled them. And, and I felt like the Lord said, what have I given you, Gary? And when I wiggled those fingers, I felt like he said, I've given you people all over the world who will help you. Mm. And so in 2018, I reached out to people all over the world with whom I'd interacted in my ECFA role, 
And I said, will you join me in this international movement? And they were like, yeah, I'm with you. And so GTP is, sure, it's a staff of now 10 in 10 countries, but the secret of GTP, it's really we have regional facilitators in 12 regions of Lausanne, volunteers who are skilled workers like accountants and attorneys. We have board members from around the world, and we have an amazing staff. And so, yeah, it's been a privilege to help set up ECFA-type groups around the world. But we found to do that, you've got to start by building faithful people, building faithful stewards. So what we do around the world is we try to build faithful stewards, and we help ministries follow standards, and it's contributing to flourishing even as it's done in America. Yes, no, it's wonderful. I get your emails, I see your updates, uh, your texts, you know, here and there just saying, Michael, you and the team be praying, look what God's doing. And so we're just proud of that work. Thank you for being obedient. Thank you for saying yes. And uh, thanks for saying yes to being on this podcast today. As you know, we're in a, a series of conversations that we're having around this idea of healthy leadership, integrity and in leadership. And I know that's your heart. And Gary, it just feels like we're in this moment where God is doing something not just in the United States, but really around the world, stirring people's hearts. So interested in your perspective on this conversation from uh, from the global view that you have, as well as being a biblical scholar, some of the different things that you've written. But, but just really practically, I think I heard, uh, just as you were sharing about the purpose of GTP, uh, sounds like you started with a statement that said, it's about multiplying faithful stewards. And then, of course, uh, you also talk about standards and encouraging and encouraging that. I just wonder, was that intentional, right? This whole piece about stewards or, or the people, the leaders before the standards. Yeah, it's very intentional. Like if we were to think in America, the 2,700 or so accredited ministries, those ministries are accredited to following standards because faithful workers are in those organizations doing the diligent work to comply with standards. In other words, when we then go overseas into a country where having an ECFA-type group is but a dream, hmm. we've come to realize, where do you have to start? You really, it's Luke 10, 1 and 2. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, you pray for workers. And then when God brings them to you, you really, we like to say we multiply faithful stewards. And so here's how we do it. We, when we go into a setting, our first program is teaching. We offer biblically integrated teaching for what are the kind of people that's needed in an organization. And so we start with, we need faithful stewards. And then we move to, then the organizations collectively follow standards. When you start with faithful stewards, and then you give them our second program as our trainings. When you give that skilled person who's probably an accountant or attorney, or they're, they're sharp. They're, I mean, God's raised up really sharp people uh, in every country of the world. When you give them a training that can multiply themselves, they're eager to do it. So all of a sudden, then you have a community of people, accountants, attorneys, pastors, ministry administrators, who are like-minded and who say, we want to write a new future for our country. The, the, the result becomes, I'll give the example of Indonesia. We've helped set up a peer accountability group in the largest Muslim population country in the world, where Christians need to shine like a light. They need to have a great mm. testimony and example 
It's imperative that they have a reputation of faithfulness. And so we go in there and do what? We offered biblical teaching, then we multiply training, we've got a community of people, we worked with them in our third program, which is teamwork, and our fourth program is toolbox. So we worked with them as a team, they established standards, we give them some resources and tools to do it, and next thing you know, they're accrediting members, and they're 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 lifting up the standard, but it starts with good people. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely right. And I know you and I have had a lot of conversation too, Gary, about how so many times in ministry we get that we get that sequence a little bit off. Like we immediately st- or or we even allow maybe the world's way of thinking to creep in and to influence um, what it is that we're aiming for within our ministries. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So think of it this way. Maybe someone in a, in a majority world country hears GTP is coming to town. For example, we just had our first program work in Honduras. Some people who come in the room, they might be in the room with the felt need of, oh, I just want my ministry to grow bigger in Honduras. And the reality is God may want their ministry to go bigger in Honduras. But it really starts with what's God's desire for them as that executive director or the the pastor or senior worker at the organization. And if that person's heart and motives are right, we can provide some tools for them to to give structure. Because if their ministry, think of it this way, if that person wants their ministry to grow, if it's just more resources coming in, the ministry will grow by addition. But if that person is coached and trained that what you really need is to build structure at your organization for multiplication so that it's not about you because it's never been about you. It's <laughs> not First Church of Michael or it's not the, uh, the Gary nonprofit organization. If the person realizes, wow, what, what GTP can do is come help me understand my role in building a team that honors God and follows standards, then all of a sudden... The keen ones will do this. They'll realize, oh, the ministry would multiply, mm. and the impact across the country would be unfathomable. And so when they grasp that standards actually take it from beyond the ministry of a charismatic person to the ministry of a faithful team, what happens is all heaven breaks loose. And I get to see this all over the world. Yeah, just give us give us an example as you think about some of your recent work. Sure. Um, I'll go to—how about I'll go to the Philippines? Um, I want you to imagine that there's a board chair of a Christian school in the Philippines. This Christian school is probably part of a global network of Christian schools that would be ECFA accredited, that we would call ACSI in America. So this guy is the board chair of a Christian school. Now, he could be really happy that he has a great working relationship with his— Um, the executive director of the school, and that they're flourishing as a school. But his vision is bigger. He read three ECFA press books. He read The Sower, The Choice, and The Council. And so you know what he said? He said, I think I want to set up a webinar series on the three books with every Christian school in the Philippines. So now imagine, instead of one guy thinking, how can I be a good board chair? He thinks, how can I not only help my school flourish, 
but every Christian school in the country. So now all of a sudden the webinar has 120 people on it, and the people that are on it are either board chairs or executive directors of Christian schools all across. And by the way, the Philippines is just a bunch of islands, and so (laughs) they couldn't convene together if they wanted to very easily. So all of a sudden you have all these people coming together in a webinar, right? And the training becomes, okay, what's God's path for our um, for our faithfulness. And so we went through the choice. And then what does biblical governance look like? And we went through the council. And what does raising kingdom resources look like? And we went through the sower. And at the end of the day, what happens? One board chair is able to be a conduit of blessing for an entire people group because he realized the goal isn't for my school to flourish. The goal is for every school in my country to flourish. Does it make sense? Oh, yeah. I love that story. I think that's great. And just to break it down a a little bit, because I've had the benefit of, you know, getting to read The the Choice and some of these other books, but uh, maybe for for those who haven't, um, what I think I'm hearing you say, Gary, is that when you think about healthy leadership, that uh, we're talking about being faithful. We're talking about as leaders being faithful to what God has called us to and staying on what's called that the kingdom path, right? Sure. Instead of, instead of the alternative. So share, share just a little bit more about that. Um, I think I want to give the backstory to the books that maybe most people don't know. Yeah, please. So uh, if ECFA started in 1979, I want you to fast forward 30 years. So it's the year of our Lord, 2009. ECFA is growing. It's maybe, I don't know exactly, maybe 1,600 members or so. It realized at the time it was largely serving nonprofits and not enough churches. But imagine this is, though, where uh, what a look under the hood revealed. A look under the hood revealed at that time that ministries are ticking the boxes of compliance. But if we look at them, are they distinctively Christian? So the, the, the impetus for the writing of the sower and then the choice and then the council was simply, how do we help accredited ministries approach what they do in a distinctively God-honoring, Christ-centered approach? Does that make sense? Yes. Now, so the felt need at the time of the ministries that were accredited Maybe some surveys were done. The felt need was, well, how do we integrate our faith in our fundraising? And that's why The Sower was written. And when it came out, people realized, yeah, this is our job. It's not just growing gifts for the ministry. It's growing givers for the kingdom. And yeah, this is our job, not just um, how do we get money from people, but how do we encourage people to see all they have as belonging to God so that instead of just focused on getting a transaction, we were really inviting them to experience transformation and to uh, maybe maybe experience a conversion of the proverbial pocketbook. And so the sower came out first, and then where the conversation went at really high levels with senior leadership. So if you're listening and you were a senior leader from about 09 to 2013, you may remember this. You may remember that there was a strong push in the nonprofit world to deliver outcomes. (laughs) 
This was like the operative word, mm-hmm. outcomes. How many times did we hear that word? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so like, um, and so there was this tremendous pressure to produce results. And then the question became, so, so wait, so does that mean if a church is 200, that it's more successful than a church of 100? Or that it, so does that mean bigger really is better and more really is better? And so there was kind of a frenzy. There was kind of a craze. This is a decade ago where the focus was really on numbers. And so I remember the moment. It's funny, the things we remember. I want you to imagine a whiteboard session. And there were four senior leaders in the room. I was in my 40s. Scott Rodin, another doctor, was in his 50s. Wes Wilmer, another doctor, was in his 60s. And Dan Busby was in his 70s. And so he invited his kind of, he jokingly called us his three wise men. He invited (laughs) us kind of into a conversation with how do we address this issue of outcomes? And you know, the, the first time we mapped two paths, you know what we called them? We called them success and faithfulness. And then we kind of said, that isn't right. And then it was Wes who said, you know what? It's really the common path and the kingdom path. So if you're listening, let me just make this really clear about the, the, the book, The Choice, because I'm now kind of focusing on The Choice, which is, so the book was written in 2014. We wrote it in six weeks because it was like, oh my goodness, what's going on and how did we get in this mess? And what we determined was this. We determined that um, there were really two paths that people could take. And again, we called them success and faithfulness. And the first path, and by the way, the idea of these two paths, which we didn't put in the book, which kind of we wish later is was in the book, really comes to us from Matthew 7. So let me back up and say this. And if I sound scattered, let me at least rewind back and, say, and put, plant this seed in your mind. The idea that there are two paths that every senior leader or every board can take is not a Gary idea, an ECFA idea. It's a Jesus idea. So in the in the tail end of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus literally is talking to disciples, Matthew 7, and he said that there's two paths people can take. And he literally acknowledges that there are people who will say to him, Lord, Lord, we did all these things for you. Like, we produced all these results for you. And his answer to them is, it's powerful. It's go away. <laughs> mm. And so there's a, there's a sober reality that Jesus doesn't need a, us to do anything for him. He wants us to work with him. And so the idea of a common path, which is where we look for production-driven leaders who can implement growth strategies and produce big numbers and success is based on numbers, is really not the path Jesus wants us on. So what we learned through the process of that second book, The Choice, was we learned that what we really need to look for in senior leadership is steward leaders willing to implement faithfulness-focused strategies. Because if the organization is not abiding in the vine, there will be no fruit on the branches. If the organization is not humbly just focused on faithfulness, it will not, in the long run, produce any fruit. Yeah, no, I think that's right. 
And I'm so glad, Gary, that we are seeing, there is this stirring, I think, of, of leaders coming back to this Jesus idea, organizations coming back to this idea, which is so encouraging. Um, you talk about kind of on the flip side as well, um, this tremendous pressure that many leaders have felt towards outcomes, towards you know results and numbers, all those things. Um, I think this is the flip side of that. How, what have you seen kind of in your experience? Do you, do you feel like some of that has contributed even to some of these, these crash and burn type stories, some of these integrity failures, if you will? For sure. In other words, if, if I'm a senior leader and my measure of, of success, my measure of evaluation is the results that I can't control, then I'm going to be either tempted to uh, misrepresent results or I'm going to be I'm going to pretty much maybe work too much become a workaholic I'm going to not necessarily have a healthy relationship with my staff because I'm going to measure them how I'm wrongly being measured so their mm. value will be to the organization will be the results they can produce so I would create an organization with a culture of chewing up and spitting out people <laughs> and and so it will create a ripple effect of toxicity like it, it'll create an unhealthy organization and so if you're alternatively if you're saying we have an organization focused on faithfulness and the senior leader instead of being evaluated based on outcomes, results. I like to say, I like to use these words so they're easy to remember. Don't focus on outcomes, focus on obedience. Don't focus on results, focus on righteousness. If you Say that again one more time. Okay. That's so, so good. Watch. It, watch. Don't focus on outcomes, focus on obedience. What are the faithful things you need to be doing? Um... Oh, this is this is actually a great story. So when when we wrote the book, The Choice, which I like to say is like the operating system on a phone, it's like the book every steward should read, and then the sower is like the app for fundraising, and the council's like the app for governance. When we wrote The Choice, a pastor of a church that's ECFA accredited in the Twin Cities area, I'll leave it at that. He read the book and he called me and he cried. And he said to me, Gary, I graduated from Trinity. I've been at this church for 30 years. And he said, but ministry had devolved to producing two services each weekend. And my whole focus was production all week. And I realized I was creating a congregation of passive followers of Jesus who would come consume what I would produce. He said, when we read the choice as an elder team, this is what happened. We mapped the 12 faithful activities of overseers of a church. And the, this led us to things like caring for the sick and orphans. It led us to things like, um, uh, sure, preaching the word. It led us to the different exhortations of overseers in the New Testament, which caused us as role models for the congregation. So this is what they did. Over a 12-month period, they just said, okay, in, in every January, we're going to fo- focus on fasting and praying for the lost, the least, and the, and the, um, uh, the lost and the least. 
And, and so they, they became a fasting and prayer church. And then in February, we're going to focus on this. And so they were, they were transparent to the congregation. What happened was their church went from 1,500 down to 1,000 up to 2,500. In other words, they were focused on, let me go back to it, focused on instead of outcomes, how big of a church can we produce a service for, to obedience, what are the, what are the disciplines we need to be known for as overseers so that the whole congregation will imitate them? What should we be known for? And they started doing those things, obedience, not focused on results, focusing on righteousness, which is a $64 word for doing the right things. <laughs> and so if your focus is obedience and doing the right things, what are you, what's your congregation going to do? They're just going to follow you. And so he said, we then created a congregation of people who were in the word, who were people of prayer, who were caring for the lost, who were caring for the least. All of a sudden, we, we created a community of active radical disciples. And so if you're listening to this and you want your senior leader to flourish, well, you need to go on a journey with your senior leader of what are the right things we need to be focused on. And if you focus on those things together, you'll quickly realize you're just a community of gifted people who's been put there to help a larger community grasp what maybe took you years to figure out. Oh, I love it. Oh, so good. And I think to pick back up on that thought too, Gary, of coming alongside the leader, uh, the board of an organization. I love how in that story you just shared of even that pastor inviting the elders in, inviting that that council, you know, who's surrounding the leader. Um, from an ECFA perspective, I mean, that that group can be such a key partner with the leader. In fact, I would argue that... Uh, if the leader doesn't have that in their board, I mean, good luck <laughs> at trying to even implement some of these things. So talk a little bit about that. Now that gets into, yeah, the, the, another book, The mm -hmm. Council, um, also by ECFA Press, which by the way, we'll link all these in the show notes. I know we keep casually kind of dropping sure. uh, these references, but it'll be easy for people who are listening to follow. Talk to us a little bit, Gary, about the role of the board and coming alongside the leader. I mean, we think that's a great idea. Is it a biblical idea? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell you know, us about that. So I think the council's the best written of the three books, because if we wrote the choice in like six weeks, it's an epic book because the Spirit of God was poured over that. But it took us eight years to write the council. <laughs> and in the council book, um, we didn't find ourselves till we looked at the good and the bad examples in Scripture. But the good example, which starts to answer your question, in Numbers um, chapter 11, you have the formation of the Council of Moses. And this council was formed to literally come alongside Moses and share the burden of the people so he would not have to carry it alone. Just full stop right there. Share the burden of the people. If you're a part of the board of an organization or you're part of the board of a church, your role is to share the burden with the senior leader. Your board, your role is not to lord over them. It's not to expect certain results from them. It's to share the burden with them. It's heavy being the senior leader. And so by, sh by sharing the burden... Now, this is where I'll put the screws back to the senior leader. Your job is to show them how they can share 
the burden. Now, if what I just said sounded too simplistic, let me give an example. We recently got a matching gift at GTP, okay? So we got a matching gift request. Now, this will happen commonly with nonprofit organizations. So this is how the conversation goes with the senior leader and the board. Hey, we got a matching gift. Can you invite your friends to contribute to this or invite people in your network? Okay, what you just did was not what you're supposed to do as the senior worker. You need to not tell them what to do like that. You need to show them. And so I had a, let me explain how I learned this. I had my youngest and yet probably most engaged board members say, but Gary, how should we do that? And I was humbled at that moment to realize my role as the senior leader was to show them how to do it, not to tell them what to do. In other words, if they're going to share the burden with me, I need to show them how I would do it. So then I gave this little simple outline. And then now I have board members helping, sharing the burden with me. What was the simple outline? Past, present, and future. So if you can remember past, present, future, you got it. So send a message to your friend saying, hey, you remember I joined the board. I joined the board because dot, 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 fill in the blank, past, present. Hey, we've got some cool things going on right now and we got a matching gift. I'm excited about that because dot, 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 fill in the blank. And then simply future. I hope you'll join in this work because it's reaching dot, 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 like share why you're excited about how the vision is growing that board member said, thanks, because when you told us what we could do to help share the burden, I wasn't really sure, but when you explained how, then I was able to pick it up and carry it with you. So the message I would send from a biblical basis, starting with the Council of Moses in Numbers 11, moving to then the councils that appear in the early church in the New Testament or examples of like, say, Peter, who says we don't lord over, but we shepherd the flock that's in our care as examples. So in other words, if you want your constituents inviting their friends to join you in your great work that you're doing, your board members get to be the role models of that. And if you're the senior leader, you get to show your board members how they can share that burden with you. So good. And I feel like we got some bonus material right there where <laughs> if you're an organization that got a matching grant, here's some great advice from, uh, sure. from Gary. But no, I love what you said about showing and sharing. I'm just pondering a lot of that. And I think connecting it back to something that you talked about earlier too, Gary, which was faithfulness and, and obedience. Um, not necessarily being driven by outcomes, but yeah, this idea of um, showing, well, really showing and sharing, it requires a lot of humility mm. uh, on the part of both, on the part of both the leader and the board. And if we're on the faithful path, the kingdom path, it's easy to do that. If we're on maybe the way the world thinks uh, or views things so many times it's it's about those results it's about all you know, you know all of that so there's less tendency it seems like to be humble to invite to show the board uh, or to share right sure I think if, if you want a best practice um, the idea of of being on the kingdom path 
simply calls the senior leader to sketch at the beginning of the year, these are the faithful activities I'm going to pursue. And um, this is how I've seen the conversations go with boards, because um, oftentimes conflict between boards and senior leaders can, and lack of communication can arise from unrealistic evaluation, like they're being evaluated based on results they can't control or things like that. And so if you map your faithful activities, which should include time in the Word, time in prayer, adequate rest, exercise, cultivation of your marriage. I actually heard some person say that the role of the board is to help the CEO stay married. You know, like you can say that that's kind of funny, but literally, if someone is wired to be an executive director, they have a proclivity to being a workaholic. They have a proclivity to trying to please everybody. And so if you step back and you have in your faithful activities these faithful things, and I encourage board members, so if you're a board member listening, here's how you can best interface with your CEO. Don't go to them and say, you're working too hard. Okay, so this is what I call a declarative statement. And notice it ends in a period or even an exclamation point. <laughs> and when a CEO hears that, they're immediately going to be defensive and push back. But if instead that CEO maps faithful activities and the board says, hey, Gary, are you getting enough rest? And the answer is, hey, thanks for asking. Not defensiveness. Notice it ended in a question mark. Gary, how are you doing? Like, are you getting rest? Because that's one of the things that I'm going to say I'm going to get. Or are you getting enough exercise? Like I tell them, ask me if I've been to the gym eight times this month, you know, because these are the disciplines that are going to help me stay physically healthy for the demands of the work. And so it's not insignificant for them to say, hey, are you going to the gym? Or hey, how's your marriage? Because when we have that open, vulnerable um, communication linked to faithful activities, I can simply say, thanks for asking. This is my report. And then we, and I say to them, hey, how are you doing in your, in your management of your health? Because together we need each other to have good health, strength for the work that's before us. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Getting again, just on a very practical note, Gary, how do leaders who are maybe wired in a certain way, they tend to be wired in a certain way, um, how do they even begin to know what are their what you call like faithful activities. Because that's also, a, I know there's some biblical principles, you know, some universal things, but even just like for you, Gary, or, you know, talk to the leader who's listening. How do they even begin that process of saying what should their faithful activities be? Sure. So we have a, a rhythm at GTP we've developed. We say that everyone needs to develop a 3D document. 3D is 3Ds, discerning direction document. So how do we get that? I tell people to map your faithful activities every year. So this is me as senior leader, uh, my two vice presidents, uh, my other senior staff, as well as support staff. We all do the same process. I say you map them over a minimum of three days. Um, the first day, and we each day we fast the middle meal of the day. So call it like lunch. And so here's how we do it. On the first day, we say... What, it's a what question, gets you thinking. What has God done in the past? And so 
the, the individual does this and they map out what God has done in the past. And then they map out so then that they're making sure in kind of Blackaby terms that they're involved with God where he's at work. Hmm. So they map out what has God done in the past. Then on day two, how is God working in the present? Now, why ask the how question? So we've moved from the what, which is the head, to now more the hands. Like As we see around us, how is God working? Because his ways are not our ways. So we would tend to map faithful activities that would be largely worldly. Okay, So we don't want to be worldly. So we want to be, okay, so how is God working in the present? And we'll say, well, he's doing this, and he's opened this door over here, and he's opened this door over here. And then the third day is where is God leading in the future? So he's kind of leading us this way or leading us this way. And so um, by day three, we have I have staff members say, you know what? I think this is um, the areas I'm supposed to work. In each of the areas, this is the work I can be held accountable to do on a weekly, on a daily, weekly, monthly, or quarterly element. And at GTP, where we physically never, ever been in the same room together, so the 10 staff have never been in the same room together, because we live and serve in 10 countries, we each map our, our 3D document, our faithful activities. What has God done in the past? How is he working in the present? Where is he leading in the future? We then bounce them off each other. We enhance each other's. So when I wrote mine, my direct reports all made edits to it and helped make it better. When each of them did theirs, I helped and worked with them and their subordinates. So together, we might not physically be in an office working with each other, but we know the areas each other's working. Hmm. And so, we, again, if you're listening and you're saying, this sounds like spirit, over, overly spiritual, everything we do at GTP is both spiritual and strategic. Because the work we're doing is not just strategic work. It's not just, uh, it's not, it's both deeply spiritual and it's strategic. So we we set up this process to get ourselves and our agenda out of the way and to together discern, these are the things I think I should be doing. Now, here's where it fits with the board. So every, our fiscal year is July 1 to June 30. So when I get, when I'm looking at my last quarter, I think, did I do all my faithful activities this year? <laughs> so that last quarter is kind of mopping up, making sure I've done the things that I said I would do. And in, in July, I then self-evaluate and I go line by line. Did I do that? Did that? Did that? You know, didn't quite cover that because these factors came in or whatever. And then my, my staff members each do theirs. So our evaluations all happen. Um, in the July time frame, and then I send mine to the board. And then our next meeting is we interact and they look at it. And then I, as a result of that, I submit to them, this is what I think my new faithful activities are for the new year. And they look at it and they say, this is great. They make, suggest some edits to it. And then together they pray for me. They know what I'm working on. They encourage me. They'll ask me questions during the year. Um, I'm. They'll even affirm little things that are in there. How do you think that makes me feel? Loved, encouraged, cherished. They know what I'm setting my hand to the plow to do. 
And they look at it and they go, hey, this is great. So we have this deep relationship that I'm not doing this work alone. Mm-hmm. Like, like they're with me in it. Now, they're a busy accountant or attorney or whatever, and they might help me with program two days in the year on a webinar or something. <laughs> but they're with me in that mindset of, hey, thanks for mapping those faithful activities. I'm praying for you, for God to surprise us, for him to accomplish more than we could ever ask or imagine. And then at the end of the year, when you you say like, oh, wow, well, we're up 35%. And someone says, how did we get whatever, 30-fold results? And the answer is you just go back to the parable of the sower and you say, well, if you focus on faithfulness, you know, you might see some good abundant uh, results, but you also might see difficulty. And so at the end of the year, I'm not evaluated based on any measure of results. It's simply, hey, good job. You stayed faithful. You stayed focused. Well done. That's right. Well, yeah, and this is the Behind the Seal podcast, so we're going behind the scenes. Thank you for inviting us uh, behind the scenes at GTP. And yeah, that captures so well, Gary, just that idea of you're showing, they're sharing, and you're you're in it together. It's that with you culture. Yeah, and, and um, let me let me conclude maybe with a, a culture comment. If you're a senior leader, so you're a, a pastor, executive director, um, the first thing I want to remind you is you're only in your role for a season. Maybe go read the Samuels, the Kings, and the Chronicles if you need to be reminded of this. But if you read the Samuels, the Kings, and the Chronicles, what it will say is, Gary was president and CEO of GTP for X number of years. And then what's it say after that? It'll say whether or not I served God with my whole heart, whether or not I left the high places up, and maybe one one accomplishment. That's it. So the question is, Will I be found having served God with my whole heart? And would I have torn the high places down? Now, I I don't have time to fully exegete that, but what I'll tell you is the high places are where, in case Yahweh didn't show up, they would show their allegiances to other gods. In modern terms, it's the safety nets that um, maybe as CEOs or presidents, we are prone to set up um, in self-preservation mode. And the answer is... God's really looking for people who are going to put his, their whole trust in him. Now, that said, we're only here for a season in our role. And so if you're there for a season, I would encourage you to create the right culture with you and your board. Okay, so you're, you don't know whether you're going to be in your role as executive director or senior pastor for five years or 20 years. But culture eats strategy for lunch. And so just create a culture that will honor God and keep everyone connected. And so the GTP culture is what we call a with you culture. And it's rooted in when when I felt called to do this job, I was kind of like, Lord, I can't do this. So if you're a senior leader, you're listening to this, it, this is actually the right attitude. If your attitude is, I can't do this, the answer is you're correct, you can't. And just like Joshua was like, I don't know if I can do this, and we, we see the powerful um, Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so I remember when GTP launched, and, and I, it's like I hear the Holy Spirit whispering that voice, and I hear the words with you. 
Well, with you are two words that appear in the sport of rugby. Now, Americans don't fancy rugby very much. So if I've lost you right there, just hang with me. This is the first time rugby has made its way to the ECFA podcast. Okay, okay. But it's so, good. So globally, you have like the World Cup, and the whole world actually follows rugby. Not very many Americans, but the world follows rugby. Well, the expression in rugby, if we're running down the field, you have to pitch the ball behind you. So the expression is, Michael, if I'm running down the field and you're with me, but I can't see behind me, you shout two words when you come up behind me. You shout with you. So then I know that if I can go maybe fast on my own, but we can go farther if we go together. And so if you're listening and you're at a church or a ministry, if you want to go farther, don't try to do it alone as a senior worker. Build a with you culture that demonstrates to people with humility, I can't do this all. I don't know everything. I need other people with me, and we can go farther in accomplishing this vision together. So we created a with you culture. And so what just is awesome, if I send a message to the board, I will hear within 12 hours, because some people are sleeping on the other side of the planet, when I send a message within 12 hours, pretty much, I'll hear from every board member with you, hmm. with you, with you. That means they read the communication, they understand their responsibility, and they're running with me. And knowing that we are running together means we're going to go f- farther in the accomplishment of our purpose because I'm not trying to do it alone. We're trying to do it together. And so with you is how we and all our emails and our messages to each other. Um, if I, I, there have been times I could kind of say like the Apostle Paul that I have been in jail, <laughs> that I have been, that I have had a gun yes. put to me. Like, yeah. like what we do internationally is actually really dangerous mm-hmm. in some places. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're advancing ministry that advances the gospel of Jesus Christ in a lot of places, it's dangerous. And so one time when I was in jail, um, we had to uh, get a message to the board and change something on our website immediately. Yeah. Within five hours, the whole board acted, moved, and we changed something on our website so that it didn't imply something to the local authorities that wasn't necessarily true about our organization. So we didn't. We used words that were hot words for them. And so I had a board who was with me to the point of helping me get out of a very difficult situation. Love it. Well, Gary, you've given us so much here today. I uh, just appreciate it uh, so much. And um, yeah, I think a big takeaway from today's conversation, if I'm a leader who's listening, I'm going to say, um, I'm grateful that I tuned in because that burden that maybe I was going in either from a, a wrong mindset, worldly mindset, or maybe I'm even just trying to do too much of this on my own. I just, I feel this sense of, uh, there's a relief, you know, in being able to show and to share with those who are around a leader. So thank you. My privilege to be with you and God be with all of you who are listening, whether you serve as a board member or executive director, um, don't try to carry the burden alone, share it. That's right. Well, Gary, we are with you, with you and the great work of Global Trust Partners. Thank you so much, ECFA. I can't thank you enough for listening to the Behind the Seal podcast from ECFA. Hey, jump on ecfa.org slash books, go under the resources section. You'll see the choice, the counsel, and the sower all written by Gary and mentioned here in this episode. 
I know that those books will bless you in your ministry, in your leadership. Share those with your board, with friends in ministry. And hey, take this podcast link and send it to a friend that lives outside the U.S. And just like Gary Travels the World, we know that this message is global as the kingdom's global. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.